but I've been through way worse than this, or this has happened so many times. Why is this time so much harder? I think having that compassion of like, well, maybe it's because you've had this so many times before and it's kind of that fatigue of the same heartache over and over again. Hi, brave friends. As you know, our lives as parents to children with unique needs can involve hard, hard things. Invasive, medical things, so many procedures and skills and things that we have to learn in order to take care of our children. Giving our children shots, inserting tubes into places that no tubes should go, at least by a parent. Things that feel impossible to us before they become absolutely necessary. So we do them. We do them over and over and over and they become normal. So normal, in fact, that we even forget the hard that we're carrying, but it's there. Madeleine Cheney's son was diagnosed with a form of dwarfism and deaf blindness, among other aspects of his rare syndrome. Since day one, they were in and out of the hospital and living a far from normal experience, even if it might have begun to feel like they're normal. Well, I'll let Madeline take it from here. I was making the well-worn 30-minute drive home from the children's hospital we frequented for our infant son's care. Kimball was about six months old and buckled snug into his car seat as the radio played. It was NPR, as it always was in those early days. Somehow it made me feel more connected to humanity to hear about politics and controversies, using my brain in a way, any other way, than my constant striving to navigate the medical world and to understand a diagnosis so rare that his doctors had never even heard of it. I was vaguely aware that the radio host was telling a story about prisoners of war. My attention on the road and what had happened at that day's appointment brought his voice in and out of focus until he started to speak of food strikes and forced feeding via feeding tubes. My heart started to thud as I listened to his drama-saturated voice speak of the handful of guards that held the prisoners down on a table, struggling and writhing, and of the people who then forced tubes up their noses, down the back of their throats, and into their stomachs. He spoke of how incredibly painful this process is, and he likened it to torture. My head reeled, my heart hammered harder and harder as what they were saying sunk in. The tears poured as I jabbed a shaking finger to the power button and left the car in a humming silence as I further processed it all. My son, my infant son, newborn and squirming and thrashing about as nurses held him down on his NICU bed, another nurse threading a tiny tube into his mouth, down his throat, into his stomach. The feeding pump sending pumped breast milk dripping into his round belly, feeling grateful for a way to feed him, feeling repulsed by the discomfort of an experience that was meant to be a precious bonding moment between mother and child, a baby at the breast, a baby slumped in a milk coma, a sleepy, milky smile, things he deserved but was so far from. As we pulled into our driveway, I remembered moments of pure agony when the person holding him down was my husband, and I was the one shoving the tube down his throat praying it wouldn't accidentally go into his lungs instead and flood them with milk and possibly kill him? I thought of the attempts to numb out of my breaking mama heart, to feel of the torture I was inflicting, but to shove off the terrifying thought, unable to bear the pain of it. And here it was. 
Here was a savvy NPR reporter telling me of the horrors of being held down and of being tube-fed. And realizing he was talking about my son. Not directly, without knowing, but he was. It was isolation like none other to wonder if I was the only listener thrown into a trauma-induced frenzy while listening to the show. But now I know better. I know we are far from alone. I know there are other shaking fingers that would have jabbed at the power button. I know there are countless other parents who are terrified at placing the tube incorrectly and pumping their milk in an attempt to nurture their child in what seems to be the only way possible. Countless others packing around the beeping feeding pump and kitchen sinks full of syringes to be washed. Kimball's four now. He's weaned from his tube, and if he had it his way, he would have had the G-tube button he received surgically as a baby. Forever. Unused, a relic he considered just as much a body part as his toes. He cried about it for weeks after removal. When I remember the days I had to torture my child in order to feed him, I still shudder. But knowing that he wouldn't be here today if I hadn't had that amount of bravery makes me burst with pride and gratitude, knowing I chose to do what brought us both terror so he could live a life full of giggles and Buzz Lightyear brings a depth to my motherhood I wouldn't have had in any other way. It does get better. I've talked to a lot of parents, and one through line with all of them is that they find their groove. So if you are just starting this unique needs or extreme needs or medically complex needs journey, or you are in a particularly new chapter that feels extra hard, remember, you are not alone. All of us start out not knowing what the heck to do, and then we figure it out and we gain confidence, and you will too, I promise. We touch on this sentiment again at the end of this episode, so please take a moment for yourself and enjoy this conversation with Madeline Cheney. Hi, Madeline. It's so good to be with you again. Welcome back to Brave Together Podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad that you were willing to submit a story because I so appreciate your voice in the disability community, this medically complex, crazy, altered, beautiful, brutal community that we're all a part of. And I really am grateful that you are expressing the reality of this very different parenting experience. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks. I know that we both believe in the power of solidarity and and vulnerability. So that always is the motivator for sure. Absolutely. So talking about your story, I think so many of our listeners will resonate because there is all sorts of trauma that we experience as moms in taking care of our kids. So beautifully written. And I think it's just important to talk about the trauma. Thank you. Yeah, I think there's definitely some processing too. You know, when I was writing it, you know, I think that I'm over it. But then when I go to write things like that, or, or record an episode about it, it definitely brings back the pounding heart and kind of like those kind of feelings that were, you know, so raw and so big then when it happened. I don't know that we ever really get over those types of things. It's just something that no parent ever wants to have to go through. And Really, I don't think we're really meant to go through that type of trauma. I mean, but yet, here we are. So <laughs> we survive it. 
I know it's true. It's true, but it's it's like it still holds like a little tiny spot in our body somewhere because it doesn't ever completely go away, and we can still be triggered by talking about it, by seeing it, by writing about it, hearing somebody else's story. Right? Yeah, yeah. It does make it. I mean, I know that you agree with this, but like the ability to be able to empathize with someone is something that I hold very dear to my heart too. And being like, oh, I see a tube fed child or baby and I can be like, oh, like we've probably experienced really similar horrible experiences that no one really realizes goes into that type of thing. And and that can go with any aspect of a disability or medical complexity. But I think that's definitely something that I see as valuable now. Although then I would have never been like, oh, this is going to be so cool for the future. I can like relate with other parents. No, No, it doesn't work that way. When we're in the middle of it, going through it, we do not say, oh my gosh, there's going to be so much great wisdom gained from this traumatic (laughs) experience. And I'm going to grow in compassion and empathy. No, you're just dying (laughs) with shock and sadness and grief and horror, whatever it is that you're going through. Yeah. But I'm glad that you are one that is open to those messages of wisdom and open to the expansion of your heart because it makes the world a better place and a more beautiful place if we allow crisis to do this to us. Yeah, I think it's probably a sign of some level of healing because I don't know that, like we say, like I don't know that that would really occur to us or be something that we hold valuable in the moment when you're in crisis mode or in trauma mode. But that I think it is like, I think that's one way I know, like after I've been through something hard that I'm like, oh, I must be like really processing that or kind of getting through it because now I'm seeing it as an asset or I'm seeing the silver lining or I'm like, oh, wow, this, this can help someone or I, I need to reach out to that person or, you know, whatever it is. And I, I've heard from a lot of parents that will reach out and be like, oh, I want to share my story on the podcast or I want to like help in this way or they're sharing on their social media. And I love that because I think it is a sign that maybe we're not over it and we never will be, but like that we are kind of past the peak of that pain and that we're like able to make some sense of it. Madeline, what would you say one or two things that trauma has taught you? Hmm. I think I've learned how to not process trauma. I, I don't like being in a state of like grief or in a state of I can't get out of bed because I'm so upset over this. Or why do I, you know, just kind of beating myself up over struggling with things. Like for, for an example, I think like when Kimball was a baby and he was going through a lot of the bulk of his of the traumatic stuff that was going on, I was able to like say like, oh yeah, of course I'm struggling. Like this is awful. Like no parent, like no parent knows what this is like. You know, that's what I was thinking. But then recently, or about a year and a half ago, I had a miscarriage that I felt like should be not a big deal and I should just get over it and be fine. But I wasn't and it like really derailed me and I shamed myself so much for that and was like, this this is really small, like this should not be a big deal. I should be over it. I shouldn't still be sad about this. Why am I still feeling like this? And in working with my therapist for a long time, we finally got through it and I realized that like a big reason that it stuck, that I was like so like just not myself for so long in large part was because I wasn't allowing the trauma that was there and like that experience to have the space that it needed. And I was trying to minimize it. And so I've realized like, okay, no matter what we're going through, we need to create and allow that space for it to be really big. Because if it's a big deal to us, us trying to shrink it down is not going to fix it. It's going to make it worse. And so allowing a lot of space for it and like really validating that pain, I think 
that allows us to heal and work through it much more smoothly and more healthily than if we're just going to try to like squeeze it down and, and shove it in like, no, 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 no. Like I'm, I'm so weak. Why am I struggling with this still? Like that's, that's only going to make it worse. So I think that's honestly something that I never want to forget. Like something I want to hold in every hard thing that I go through, you know, going forward is to give, give it the space that it needs. I love that. And it's so understandable how we can shelve it or shrink it when you've already been through so much big stuff. And then for something else to happen, it's another hit. And maybe our mind, it's a defense mechanism to sort of shrink the weight and gravity of that miscarriage and that trauma and that loss because we've already been through, you've already been through so much. But I appreciate your wisdom in that whatever it is that we go through, we're sharing this with our listeners, okay, moms out there, like whatever you go through matters. And so allow yourself to feel and process it through and treat it with compassion and treat ourselves with self-compassion. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I do think that it can, like, if it's surprising like that, like, wait, I, this is like miscarriage number six. Like I I've been through this before. Like this shouldn't be a big deal to me. Like, but that, our, you know, trauma doesn't work that way. Like, it's not like our brain like, oh, yeah, you're right. That doesn't make sense. Let me just move on from this. But I think a lot of times, like you say, like, it can even be like, well, because it's number six, I think that wasn't a huge part of it was like the repetitiveness. So if you've been through a lot of different things with your child, if that's what it has to do with, it can just hit different. You know, there can be one time that's just too many times. And then then it's just, it, you know, derails you in a way it hasn't before. So I think you're right of like not judging ourselves like, but I've been through way worse than this, or this has happened so many times. Why is this time so much harder? I think having that compassion of like, well, maybe it's because it's you've had this so many times before and it's kind of that fatigue of the same heartache over and over again. Mm, the fatigue of the heartache over and over again. That's quotable. So true. And don't you think also that our culture also contributes to us sort of pushing it away or like, I'm going to overcome this or I'm okay. I've been through this before because I feel like our culture wants to rush us through pain because pain is bad. Pain is bad, 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 bad. Grief is bad. You know, sadness is bad, right? We're so indoctrinated to get to the place of being okay. Yeah. And I I think that is so harmful for us. And especially because I think it, it can make us like mask a lot. And I know that you and I both have people in our lives who have struggled with like suicidal thoughts and depression and stuff. And, you know, we, we've seen that firsthand of like, wow, like they were really masking because I did not see that pain there. And I think, you know, if we try to be okay, you know, for society or for other people to feel good around us, I think that's super scary because that's what you need that connection to help you through that more than ever. And to be disconnected in that way where you're just like showing a happy face and you're not telling people how much you're struggling. I mean, that just makes it so much worse. It does. So much more lonely. It does. It does. Yeah. I always say vulnerability breeds amazing connections. If we just get really, really vulnerable and honest and transparent about our struggles or that we're struggling, it breeds hopefully life-giving connections because then we've invited support. We've invited love. We've invited compassion. We've invited help. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's like scary, especially if it's something that's super big. I know it's something that I've like tried to work with, let's say a loved one to kind of protect their identity. But 
of like, hey, you need to like process through this. You need to like, you know, the therapist, like, why aren't you going to therapy anymore? And she was like, it's just too much. Like, I cannot open that box. It's just too much. It's too scary to try to like start working through that trauma. And I think that's very valid too. I think there's a lot of people in this community that have experienced such intense trauma that can feel completely overwhelming and scary to open that box and to be able to sit with it and to process through it and open up to other people where it's just so much easier to put on the face. And really you have to do what you have to do to survive. So I think like for that kind of person, like you may be like, okay, like then maybe set the box down and, and wait a little bit longer until you do feel like you can, you know, maybe take one thing out at a time and, and start to process through that because we do need to survive too. And I think that's kind of a survival mode, you know, instinct to like, I just can't, I just can't even handle that mm-hmm. processing that. No, that's good. That's good. I appreciate that. That's really good. How is Kimball today? Switching gears a little bit. How Mm -hmm. old is Kimball? How is he? What's he up to? What does he love? Give me a little moment of extreme joy with him. So Kimball's four. And my gosh, I wish, you know, in the thick of the, like in the story I wrote about the feeding tube stuff. I just wish I could have seen him as he is today. And I know that's not the circumstance for every parent where their child progresses and becomes a lot healthier and more stable. Like I'm very, very grateful for a situation where he, that is his case, but he really is so happy and just the cutest little guy. And I just, again, I just wish I could have seen that glimpse of joy and been like, okay, it'll be worth it. Cause there really wasn't, I didn't see him very happy you know, very often because he was going through a lot of hard stuff and that made it extra hard to be like, well, what's even the point of all this if he's not even going to have joy. So now seeing him now, I mean, he, so I guess an example, a moment of, you know, just joy and seeing him as he, you know, for who he is, he loves guitars and he loves music. He's hard of hearing. I, for some reason that just makes me, I think I just think it's so much cuter just knowing that he's hard of hearing and so much more grateful for his hearing aids that he has access to sound and music that way. But he's obsessed with guitars and like always has been. And just yesterday he was home from school with a cough. So he's like feeling good, but he had the cough. So I was like, oh, we should keep him home. And we were watching Coco together because he loves Coco because of the guitar and the music. And we're in the middle of moving right now. And so we packed up his, all he's like five different guitars of different sizes and stuff. But I had like drawn him one out of paper and taped it up. So it was like kind of like laminated and he had it over his little body and he was playing along with Coco in the movie as he's performing. And I was just like, this is just the cutest thing. Like he is just so into this to see an interest like that. I think as a parent, anytime is so meaningful, but especially like when I first found out that he would be disabled, I had a lot of like these preconceived notions of what that would be. And I, I think like interests like that, I just didn't picture that as part of the, you know, the scenario. And so to see him just so passionate about that and so excited and so happy and like in his own little world, like just totally in group with that was so cute. It just made me so happy. So I like took a little picture of it. Like, I just want to remember this. Like he has no shirt on. He's wearing his little pants. His hair is all messy because <laughs> he's home from school and he's just like rocking out with his little paper guitar. It's so cute. Aww. He's so, <laughs> so cute. Oh, I love him. <laughs> what is something that you would create out of nothing or change in the disability community if you could just dream big there's no obstacles what Mm. is something either you would change or something you would create i would create a time machine i got this idea from a guest i'm stealing this he's a doctor (laughs) that works with pediatric or like he works with parents and teaching them like how to you know do the feeding tube or whatever it is and they're like oh i just can't do this i'm not i'm not up to this like i'm i just can't handle this he was like i wish i could give you a time machine 
So you could see yourself in a few years, just totally like master of this, like you will learn how to do this. And I loved that idea for both that type of thing for when we feel like we just can't do it. And like, well, I'm just not, I'm not that mom or I'm not that dad. Like I just, I can't figure out this medical stuff or the IEP stuff or whatever Mm -hmm, it is related mm -hmm. to disability. So we can see the transformation in ourselves, but also for the moments to see like your child happy, you know, in the future, kind of like where, you know, I would love to have shown Maddie in the midst of all the feeding tube and everything with that, the version like yesterday, the version of our lives of, of, who Kimball is and how happy he was and how happy I was. Yes. Um, I would love to be able to give that to every parent ever to be like, okay, like I know it doesn't feel like your life will, like it feels like it's kind of over in a way and that your child won't be happy and you won't be happy and that you'll never learn all these things. But let me just show you just an hour of your life in a couple years. And, it, and, you know, and I think in a lot of ways, it's like, it's not going to be how you pictured your life. Like there's still going to be grief there. It's still different, but like, you'll see yourself mastering it and and even thriving maybe, or at least surviving a type of life that you don't think is for you or that you can handle. That is the best answer. I have never had anybody answer this question in this way. And I love that. I love that. Mm, It's true because in the beginning and in different seasons, we always doubt ourselves. We always doubt our abilities, our patience, our resolve, our endurance, our perseverance, our skills, sometimes even our compassion is tried to the very last, you know, drop. (laughs) And to be able to fast forward and see our own transformation, our own growth, our own abilities, our own mindset, that would be so powerful. Yeah, because sometimes it doesn't even feel like you'll survive. Like, I know it sounds dramatic, but it's like, how can I even get through this type of pain? And I think like, like, especially like the, the visceral pain, like, of you know, in the story that I shared of like, this hurts too much, like, how am I going to survive this? And so I even think just like knowing like, no, you do survive this. Like, let me tell you the end of the story, like you survive it. And you're even happy, or you know, you're not as miserable as you used to be. But like, whatever it is, like, just, I, I don't know, I think that'd be such a gift. I agree. I agree. I wish we could do that. Maybe we can kind of do that, right? For listeners right now to be like, I right. promise things will get better. Yes. You know, and maybe they'll still be different. Mm-hmm. But like we've seen, and I know you and I have talked to so many parents, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. the case, right? Yeah, it's always it the case. things were so, so hard in the beginning. And now we've got our groove, right? Like, and it's right. not easy, but we've got our groove. And so I think we can just be like, I know I can't show you surviving, but I promise you'll survive. Oh, that's so good. Yes, it's true. And you will. You will. And you've got so many moms that are ready to support you. So if you're out there listening to this and you're in a hard season or you're at the beginning of all of this, just know you can reach out to me. You can reach out to Maddie. There are so many people that are ready to support you, walk you through it and say, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And I'm right here with you. Yes, absolutely. Love Maddie, that. where can everybody find you and find your podcast? So um, if you just search The Rare Life, that will be on, I think, pretty much every podcasting app or like Spotify. I think that's a good one for people who aren't necessarily podcast listeners. And then we have a website, which is called therarelifepodcast.com. And then I'm pretty active on Instagram. So that's probably the best way to connect and on just kind of a personal level. So that is at the underscore rare underscore life. So I hope that you come and we can connect. That would be great. Please do that. Please do that, moms who are listening today. Maddie, so good to be with you. And I appreciate your time and your story and always your your vulnerability and your voice. So thank you. It's good to see you. Thank you so much. 
Thanks so much for listening today. Do us a favor and leave us a review and a rating so that this podcast can get into the ears and the hearts of more and more moms. Did you know that Brave Together Podcast is an extension of our nonprofit organization called We Are Brave Together? We Are Brave Together serves an international community of caregiving moms by offering support groups that are virtual and in-person, educational resources, and low-cost weekend retreats. And we offer retreat scholarships. We represent all 50 of the United States and 21 countries around the world. We are here to remind you that you are not alone, you are braver and stronger than you think, and that girlfriends who get you are sacred and mandatory. To join us today, go to wearebravetogether.org. Our support and sisterhood await you.